This sermon is from Edgewood Baptist Church. You can find more information about us online at ebc-edmonds.org. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 12 through 17 with a quick look back at some of the verses we covered last week in uh, verses 4 through 11. All right, so do you guys realize that when you take pictures on your phone, there's some things you got to be careful of? Do you know that? It's at the Huskies game yesterday with Isaiah, and somehow I kept my finger on the picture-taking button, and I had like 500 pictures of his ear. <laughs> well, that may be exaggeration, maybe 100 of his ear, and then like another 100 of just the fans. So I, I spent some just deleting photos. What, what we focus on matters, does it not? There's some things that we want to remember and other things uh, we, we don't want to spend our life focusing on. Do you also know that on your camera there's this little button that reverses it? So if I hold my camera like this, it shows you guys. If I push a button, it shows me, right? And, and if Paige says to me, Could you, can you get a picture of Isaiah singing up front? and I come back with a picture of myself, she's not going to like that. <laughs> it's important what direction you're focused. I say that because I believe in life also there's a focus button. There's a direction button. What are you taking pictures of? What are you concentrating on? Is it turned on yourself? Are you... One of those people that is overly self-focused. It's good to have some self-awareness. A check in the mirror is a good idea. Constantly staring in the mirror, mirror, not a good idea. There might be times for a selfie. We could debate that when it comes to pictures, but you don't want all the pictures on your phone selfies. And we don't want to live our lives self-focused. Last week, we took a look at abiding in Christ, and I titled the sermon, How to Live a Life That Matters. How do I live a life that makes a difference? How do I live a life that matters, right? We talk about abiding in Christ, abiding in His love. Here are the last verses we read last week. If, if you weren't here, we'll get you caught up. John 15, starting with verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus is speaking. He's saying, abide in me, remain in me, stay connected to me, live in accordance with me, live in my love, obey my commandment to love one another. So that what? So that your life will be filled with joy, real joy, the joy of Christ. So there's a connection between abiding in Christ being loved, loving, and joy. Today's sermon is not just merely an academic exercise. We're not talking about something you can put in your little spiritual compartment only. It's to impact all of our lives. We're talking today about the greatest love of all. There is no greater love than the love of Jesus. Let's look at John 15. Start with verses 12. Jesus speaking. He says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. There's no greater love, Jesus says, than laying down your life for your friends. This wasn't just Jesus' death. Certainly his, his death was the laying down of his life. But all of Jesus' life was leaving a place of glory and emptying himself, not of his divinity, but of some of the grandeur that came with who he was. One God forever existing in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jesus was divine. Okay? He left that glory and humbled himself. It's humbling just for him to, to walk on the earth, to be born in a stable. He gave up so much out of love. He didn't just die. He, he was beaten, mocked, and crucified. We can't take this lightly when he says that we're to love one another as, as we've been loved by him. Our culture doesn't teach us to be sacrificial in how we treat others. It teaches us to put all the attention on ourselves. We'll grab for the gusto and the glory ourselves. When parents say, you know what, I'm not going to take that next big career move because I need to spend more time with my children. They're not always applauded, are they? When mothers lay down a lot of their prestige and reputation for their kids, when fathers do that, it's not always looked at favorably in our culture. And yet love requires 
the willingness to sacrifice for the benefit of others. And we'll see that's, that's not something we do out of drudgery, but out of delight. Greater love has no man than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Is that amazing? Jesus calls his disciples friends. You know, sometimes people will sing a song, maybe you've heard it, I am a friend of God. The only way we became a friend of God is by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Right? Oh, what a friend we have in Jesus. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. There's a piece about prayer again there, doesn't it? Because I think when we fully understand the command to love as Jesus has called us to love, when we really understand that, we say to ourselves, I can't do that. I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to free myself from the selfishness that consumes so much of my life. And if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the first step is to admit that you're a sinner and ask Jesus, to forgive your sins and come in to your life, to send His Holy Spirit. Amen? But, but if you're a Christian, you, you know that, that we have been saved when we came to Jesus. We were declared righteous, but we're, we're being saved. We're being sanctified and, and, and by God's grace striving to become what we are in Christ. We already not yet at sanctification. And one day, we will be saved. Amen? And enter into heaven. And may I challenge us to get out of our minds and out of our vocabulary, I just can't stand that person. I just can't deal with these people any longer. And put in its place, Lord, help me love as you would have me love. Help me be what you would want me to be. Point one of the sermon. The greatest love is not love that promotes narcissism. I'll talk in a minute what narcissism is. This continual focus and admiration of oneself. And as I wrote that point out, 
It reminded me of a song by Whitney Houston. I'm going to date myself here. She sang a song called Greatest Love of All. Some of you remember that? Do you remember the words of that song? Here's what she sang. I believe the children are our future. Teach them well and let them lead the way. Show them all the beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of pride to make it easier. Let the children's laughter remind us how we used to be. Everybody searching for a hero. People need someone to look up to. I never found anyone who fulfill my needs. A lonely place to be. So I learned to depend on me. I decided long ago never to walk in anyone's shadows. If I fall, if I fail, if I succeed, at least I'll live as I believe. No matter what they take from me, they cannot take my dignity because the greatest love of all is happening to me. I found the greatest love of all inside of me. The greatest love of all is easy to achieve. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. Now let me read you from an article written March 23rd, 2012, which says this. In an infamous 2002 interview with ABC News, Diane Sawyer, pop icon Whitney Houston candidly spoke about her abuse of drugs such as cocaine, which along with heart disease factored into her accidental drowning last month, according to the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office. It's been alcohol, marijuana, pills, cocaine at times, Houston told Sawyer in the Frank 2002 interview that delved headlong into her addiction struggles. Nobody makes me do anything I don't want to do. It's my decision. The biggest devil is me. I'm my best friend and my worst enemy. My goal here is not to be critical of Whitney Houston. My goal here is not to, sh- to put a dark shadow over the things she's accomplished or, or things positive she did in the world. That's not my goal. My goal is to expose a philosophy that is widespread and destructive. It is good to be self-aware and self-control and self-confidence if grounded in God are good things. But to be narcissistic, to make self-love the drive of your life is destructive. Now, some may say, what, what, what do you mean by narcissism? In Greek mythology, Narcissus was a hunter 
He was known for his beauty. He was the son of the river god. He was proud. And he disdained those who loved him. Nemesis noticed this behavior and attracted Narcissus to a pool where he saw his own reflection in the water and fell in love with it. Not realizing it was merely an image, he stared at his reflection until he died. Narcissism is the pursuit of gratification from vanity and egotistic admiration of one's own attributes. We've already seen where the term originated. Imagine with me, you pay for an expensive vacation to Europe. You want to see all the sights. And you bring your children with you. And one of your children looks in the mirror the whole time. Doesn't my hair look great? What about this pimple? See, the problem isn't merely what they think of their reflection, it's that they're spending so much time looking at their reflection. You get that? And you want to say, would you put down the mirror and look out the window? Do you hear the Scripture saying to you, will you put the mirror down and look up at the glory of God? Look around at the glory of God. We're created to live in delight of God and in community with one another. Harry Reader said this, the contemporary church, in an effort to be relevant and connected, has in many cases become irrelevant and disconnected by accommodating itself to the demanded cultural narcissism. Today's church, instead of speaking the true gospel message in the terms the culture understands, has been seduced and intimidated into modifying the gospel message according to what the culture approves. Thus, we insist on the supremacy of personal musical genre, preferences in worship. Our children exist to achieve academic or athletic honors in order to promote our parental pride. Marriage partners, instead of being subjects of our sacrificial love, have become objects to be used and then discarded. Our careers are instruments for conspicuous consumerism instead of opportunities to create wealth and gather resources for the needy. Our local churches are viewed as religious specialty shops for life's challenges. Gospel preaching has been perverted into self-esteem therapy or pep talks, coaching us to worldly success or even more astonishing redefining the love of Christ in terms that preclude his displeasure with the impenitent self-centeredness of in our lives. 
John Piper said it this way, we have turned the love of God and the gospel of Christ into a divine endorsement of our delight in many lesser things, especially the delight in our being made much of. The acid test of biblical God-centeredness and faithfulness to the gospel is this. Do you feel more love because God makes much of you or because at the cost of his son, he enables you to enjoy making much of him forever? Does your happiness hang on seeing the cross of Christ witness to your worth? or as a way to enjoy God's worth forever? Is God's glory the foundation of your gladness? Why do I say this? Because if we're talking about being loving as Christ loved, we need to understand that Jesus loved us too much to leave us in our selfishness. You see, point two, the greatest love is Jesus' love. Let's look at that love. He chose to love us before we loved him. Before we ever loved Jesus, he loved us. He chose to die so we might live. He chose to sacrifice his reputation with people to save people from themselves. In other words, he loved people more than he loved what they thought of him. He loved people more than he loved what they thought of him in the moment. True? We, we see some of the love of Jesus in us towards our children at times, right? Other times, we need work. But when did you st start loving your child? You didn't wait till they, they loved you, did you? I mean, if you were with me doing some biblical counseling and someone said, I'm going to have kids because I really want to feel loved. I really want to be made much of, so I'm going to have some, 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 some kids. Babies don't come out of the womb bundles of thankfulness. Right? Is that true? And you know what? There's times when you're parenting your children, you have to love them more than you love what they think of you in the moment. Is that not true? You say, it hurts me for you not to like what I'm saying right now, but you need to hear this. Right? John Wooden, the famous basketball coach, used to tell his players to aim at their character, not their reputation. He said, Re reputation is what other people think of you. Character is who you are. 
And he said, if you aim at your reputation, you'll lose your character. But if you aim at your character over time, your reputation will come. Think about all that Jesus gave up in reputation as he walked the earth. And it isn't it great to know that this loving, humble one, the mystery of the Trinity, one God, three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Jesus was defined with this great Messiah. One day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. D. He chose to include us in his plan and to call us his friends. See, I think sometimes we lose sight of the, the grandeur and the majesty. We spend so much time looking in the mirror and not seeing the greatness of our God that when we sing little songs like God is, God is our friend, right? When we sing about that. We have a friend in God. We don't even think about how astonishing that is. That we sinful people, by the grace of God, have an opportunity to call Jesus our friend. That is amazing. Right? For some of our people, if Russell Wilson called them and said, hey, uh, friend, you want to come to the game with me? You'd be more excited than that Jesus calls you friend. You can be excited about both, by the way. Just be more excited that Jesus has called us friends. E, he chose to suffer so God might be glorified and his people might find true joy. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the, can you say it with me? Who for the, for what? For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's amazing. See, the glory of God and the joy of his people go together. And Jesus endured the shame and the suffering for the joy that was set before him. Point three. We have been chosen by great love. We have been chosen. This passage, he, he's speaking about his friends. There's a sense in which God loves Everyone, in this passage, he's talking to those who by the grace of God have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ or, or will do that. And that love is amazing, is it not? We have been chosen by great love. Romans 5, 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the very right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though Perhaps for a good person, one could dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we look at the cross, when you look at the cross, 
We shouldn't make it a mirror and go, man, aren't I great? This just reflects what a great, awesome person I am. We should look at the cross and say, oh, how great my sin that made this necessary. And how great the love of God that set me free from those sins. And if he, he died for me, won't He graciously give me all things I need to live the life He's called me to live? This is really important we get when we went through our adoptions, they sent social workers to our house to ask us questions about our parenting. And it's interesting that even Christian adoption agencies will send people into your home that will ask you questions like, what are you doing to help your children with their self-esteem and their love for themselves? I took a little chance. Because I believe with everything in my heart that it is destructive to set your compass to self-love. Okay, now, now let me be clear here. The Scripture says, and it's part of our commission as a church, love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And the second is like unto it, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But some people in the church want to make three commands. Love God, love others, and love yourself. But, but here, stay with me here. There's only two commands there. Right? Well, pastor, you tell me I should just hate myself? Wait, wait. Self-love there is not condemned. It doesn't say don't love yourself. Nor is it commanded. It's assumed, right? One piece of pizza and two kids will show you that they are not at want for making sure they love themselves, right? When you're hungry, you don't have to remind yourself to go eat. But if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, when you see somebody else hungry, you have to pray for God's strength remember to help them. True? Now. I believe that the confidence of our children is better built if we help them experience the love of Christ. Right? Say, do you know how much Jesus loves you? Do you know the purposes He has for you? Do you know what He wants to do with your life? You matter to Jesus. Isn't that a lot more confidence building than just constantly looking in the mirror? You see, it's a very important nuance here that we get. I'm not saying that we, sh we should hate ourselves. I'm not saying we shouldn't love ourselves. 
I'm saying that the road to joy is focusing on Christ, His love for us, and His call to love others. Make sense? Listen. I've spent years talking to folks with broken lives. Addiction. Sexual sin. And you know one thing I found out about, about addicts a lot of times? A lot of folks addicted uh, to alcohol and drugs are perfectionists. They really want to live the perfect life. They want everything perfect in their life. They really want to be good, and they just can't live up to the perfection they've placed on themselves. They can't do it. And the hope for them can't be simply, learn to love yourself more. Because all they're doing is thinking about themselves and how they can't measure up to what needs to be done. And since they can't be as good as they want to be, they just get drunk or high or tweaked. The answer for them is not more self-esteem. The answer for them is grace-esteem. Jesus died to set people free who by grace put their faith in Him. Amen? We have been chosen by great love. And the last point, point four. We have been chosen for great love. First John 4, 7 through 12 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. If anyone does not love... Excuse me, let me reread that. Verse 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. He goes on in verse 20 and 21 to say this, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I was listening to Steve Welling, as he, our, our executive minister, as he was talking about one of the things that really uh, we value highly as a conference of churches and that's relationship, our love relationship with God and loving one another. The mark of maturity is how, how in our relationships, our relationship to God and our relationship to others, not mere, merely in being able to quote biblical verses. Those verses of the Bible are supposed to help us live a more loving life. Amen? Even properly defined love.
Sometimes we act like love is something we have or we don't have. We'll say things like, I love my wife. I love God. We forget that we're in process, right? So I can say I love my wife, but I can tell you I long to learn to love her better, right? I love God, but I long to love him better. We want to grow in love. Amen? Nobody here's arrived in the love thing. And that's why what Jesus said about ask God and he'll give you, means we, we should be praying, God, help me be more loving. Every single time we're tempted to say, I, I, I just can't handle this person. We should get on our knees and say, Lord, help me be more loving. Help me understand what love looks like here. Amen? And love doesn't mean just catering to everybody's desires. Or sometimes, like to our children, and when we love them, we have to say, no, we're not having six bowls of ice cream for dinner. Right? Next week, we're going to pick up this theme a little bit, and we're going to talk about how Christianity cannot be stopped by hatred. And kind of as a segue between the two sermons, I leave this quote from Martin Luther King, Jr. He said, when evil men plot, good men must plan. When evil men burn and bomb, good men must build and bind. When evil men shout ugly words of hatred, good men must commit themselves to the glories of love. And I think he means men and women. And ultimately, it isn't about what Martin Luther King Jr. said. It's about what Jesus said. But what Martin Luther King Jr. is saying in this quote is a reflection of what Christ has called us to, is it not? Look around. Look around. There's a need for love. Real love. The kind of love that only Christ can give. May we, with compassion, reach out to those around us. Take your connection card. You see some next steps of faith there, if you'd be willing to, to mark those. Give you a verse to memorize, John 15, 12. Maybe today you need, need to surrender your life to Jesus. Maybe you, you felt for a long time you just can't measure up. Stop trying to measure up on your own. Come to Jesus. This is a simple thing in this world with so much anger and hatred. Maybe your next step this week is just to do a kind deed for someone. Pray about it. Just, Lord, help me show your love to someone and do a kind deed. And then the last box, maybe God's leading you something that's not on the list, but you know he's leading you there. We'd love to hear about that in your connection card and pray for you. Dear God, I pray that you'd use every life here. I pray anything spoken today in today's sermon that is in accordance with your word or your truth would be driven far from our minds, but that which is in accordance to your word, that which is true to your word, that it would inspire and transform us, that we would love you more, that we would love others more, that we would understand the depths of your love for us, and it would build in us a humble confidence. These things we pray in your holy name. And Lord, please, please use these in these offerings to advance your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.